Now, this is Geek Gab with your hosts, Doranal and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for, let's see, it's Saturday, March 23rd, 2019. Happy future year. Um, apparently, in 2019 was very, very popular choice for future years because I've heard at least three different works that had it in it. Although I can only remember but one of them at this moment in time. In any case, uh, before we get to our guest, the wonderful, the fantabulous, the leading Hispanic voice in science fiction, um, I'm gonna have Dorno. Ask me a question. I don't know if you remember a few episodes ago, like I couldn't even concentrate on the show because my headspace was in an entirely different place. I just watched like a video the night before and it was roaming around in my brain. I was thinking about it. I could barely concentrate on the show. So Dornall in like half a second is going to ask me, so where is your headspace today? DW. Hey, DW. Where's your headspace today? I'm glad you asked that question. I uh it, it's a surprise question, but it's a welcome question. So uh last night I watched two documentaries, um, one on breaking or breakdancing, uh, from the point of view of the Bronx, the South Bronx where it started. And uh, the other about the beginnings of rap or hip hop, and it was focusing on Berlin, uh, or excuse me, on Ber Brooklyn, where that started. Uh, and so I spent like three, four hours last night watching these documentaries. And the next question you're going to want to have been asking um, is: Is this all for the Great Big Secret Project? And the answer is yes. Both of these were research for the Great Big Secret Project. Took a bunch of notes on them. I had a lot of fun. It was really, really cool to see, like, okay, so I've gone really back in time, and I thought that, like, Africa Bambata and, uh, and all these others were, like, the originators of rap, and it turns out that, like, a decade before them, there were a bunch of other people over in Brooklyn doing it, so... Yeah, that's where my headspace is at today. It's roaming around the edges of uh, really, really old school hip hop in the old 60s. School hip -hop. I, lo I love that stuff. And I know that your big project is is essentially science fiction, but Berlin and Brooklyn are two very, very different places. I so uh, I don't think you've got that much artistic license. Maybe it was the maybe it was the wall they put up in Brooklyn that just confused me. Yeah, the Brooklyn Wall. I remember when that came down. I was in middle school. Yeah, that was a momentous occasion in modern politics, the, the fall of the Brooklyn Wall. Uh, why don't you s hit me up on, on Twitter, that uh, twitter.com slash Doranal. Send me a DM because uh, I'm selling pieces of the Brooklyn Wall, uh, <laughs> the mementos of the occasion. I'll, I'll, I'll get you my PayPal and everything. So uh, so you usually we do something like, hey, how was your week, Doranal? Yeah, I mean, my week's good. I work for a living, and I game as a hobby, and it's all good. Um, I finally uh, I finally got back on Facebook after a very long hiatus. I had a couple of people I wanted to contact on Facebook, so I did that. And it's terrible. It's even worse than my, when I left. But uh, <laughs> I, I, picked, I picked the best week to, to come back because 
um, uh, our good friend, the uh, the leading Hispanic voice in science fiction, is is uh, is is moving and shaking, and uh, and we had some news in in current events. Uh, so, wait a minute. They're, they're, is he the leading mm. Hispanic voice in science fiction, yeah. or is he the leading voice in Hispanic science fiction? I, I, I'm actually, I'm actually alt furry leader now. Alt furry leader. Oh, um, what is what is what are you talking about? What the heck is alt furry? Well, that's a nice segue. That's impressive. Yeah. This this um, is what we this is what we brought Mr. Delaros on for. We wanted to, we wanted to talk to John about. Old furry. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I'm not being sarcastic. I know. I know. Nice segue. I'm not, was like, I'm not wow. being sarcastic either. I'm. I'm. Uh, I am leader of alt furry. Uh, I was declared so unanimously by the board of alt furry um, earlier this week, and um, yeah, I mean it, it's a group of furries, uh, and furries <laughs> are uh, people who, who dress up in fur suits and uh, or go on Second Life and and, and often have a. Um, uh, uh, how do we want to put this for a family show? Um, they were, they were, um, when you say first suits in second life, like they're, it's like they, they imagine themselves to be anthropomorphic animals. Anthrop anthropomorphized. Yeah. Anthropomorphized somewhat. Um, um, I, I would put it exactly. this way. And, and they're cartoon like, it's a cast, it's a cosplay kind of thing, you know? Um, you should go watch that episode of Chuck, uh, with the furry in it and then they'll know what you're talking about. That's how you put it for a family show. You're like, oh, okay. what about this? So or or, or uh, there's this there's this great clip of uh, a few years ago. There's some free convention and and and, a, and someone there's an assault or something, right? And and there's uh, the the anchor uh, is a woman and she reads the story, and and she sort of looks co looks confused for a second, and then she gets word um, through her earpiece or something. She's like, what is what is a furry? And she gets word of it and she completely loses it on air. She's like, tears are streaming down her face laughing. <laughs> yeah, this well, no, uh, this is no laughing matter. This is no laughing matter whatsoever. So, um, yeah, no, I actually, I, I know a lot of furries. Um, and uh, alt furry really is because the, the furry community uh, ended up like every other geek based community and kind of went off the rails into just this like identity politics garbage right that's that's no fun it makes you know that the, the pe you know, same people that come into every freaking everything came in and just like said we can't have fun anymore we have to we have to do this nonsense and, and so, usually yeah. wise and intelligent person an attractive person wrote a post about that last week uh, i don't know who who would that be um if i'm <laughs> checking if i have my calendar set up right i think it was me <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, you beat the drum about this quite a bit. Um, definitely. Um, and but it happened. It happened within the furries also. And so uh, some some people kind of rebelled against that and just wanted to make things about fun again. And uh, and they did so. And and they're just really good, really good, really fun people uh, who happen to be uh, into the into the furry thing. And uh, and I got voted their leader. So I guess. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> so okay, does Yakov? Merkin, our good friend and science fiction author, uh, does he qualify as a furry? His his book, uh, his Galaxy Ascendant series, is definitely furry fiction. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on on record with that for sure. Furry bait is that furry bait? That's a good one. I don't. He's not a furry, but but he's definitely writing furries. He's he's also in the chat. I'm not talking about him 
I'm not stabbing him in the back behind his back. I'm stabbing him in the back to his face. So. Oh no, I, I definitely am aware that he's in the chat and, and I'm doing that too. <laughs> so we've got a uh, we've got a clarification from uh, Mr. Alexander, uh, Kursova Magazine. Uh, he, he he notes everybody listening should note uh, not all furries are into the cosplay, right? And not all furries have personas. I. I, I've the portmanteau has been analyzed in my brain, and I am terrified that that is a, a word. Uh, but he says some are just into the anthro aesthetic. Well, yeah, that's yeah. that's actually what prompted my question is because like if uh, Andre Norton or CJ Cherry, I don't know how to pronounce that name. I'm sorry, Cherry, Cherry, I think, yeah. Um, if they qualify as like you know sort of furry stuff, then obviously Yakov's book would. That that's what I I'm putting him in good by stabbing him in the back to his face. I'm putting him in good company. And I, I'm actually doing it intentionally. I'm writing a book uh, featuring a a frog, uh, a frog sentient human like creature and a a bunny girl uh, for my next trilogy. So my next novels will actually very intentionally is uh is being written specifically for alt furry can i confess something though mm -hmm. now that i know this is a thing and i've seen like so many weird things around this every time i edge up to the line and have some kind of anthropomorphic x here that would like lizardmen or whatever i get kind of nervous i'm like do i really want to put this in do i really want to deal with the side effects Yes. Uh, the answer. The answer is absolutely yes. Don't worry about it. Think about it. Uh, and and I've I've asked these questions on Twitter all week. Beast from X Men, a furry, right? Uh, Chewbacca, a furry. You know, it's it's already been done. You don't have to worry about it. No, I mean, the, but they are furry. That doesn't make them a furry. They just they just happen to be furry. Oh no, they're, they are furries. They're like furry bait, is what they are. Things that are not furry, but that furries find aesthetically appealing. That's my term. I'm not saying that's a thing. That's just what I think of it as. I'm just saying we find them aesthetically appealing too. <laughs> well, here's the thing that, that drives me. I, the alt furry thing uh, twists my brain because I, when it was introduced, you know, I, uh, I, I view a lot of, uh, I would say, right wing Twitter. And, and back a couple of years ago, the, the alt right is, is this horrible, you know, it, just a bunch of malcontents and everything. And they claim to be right wing. So when I, I hear the phrase alt furry, I th I think of all these like these scumbag, you know, racists or white nationalists or, or whatnot. And they're like, we don't want any filthy furries in here. And that's what oh, I mean. yeah, for sure. But it's Is the that... opposite. It's the opposite. It's it's <laughs> it's we're furries and, and we don't want to get you know, we, you know, we don't want to get destroyed by the, the leftists, the social justice workers, that sort of thing. That blows my mind that it's the other way around. I think evoking that imagery is just funny because obviously, you know, that sort of alt-right white nationalist purist sort of stuff would would uh, would not be a safe place for furries to be. And so it's, it's just funny on that level. Uh, and, and that's great. I mean, I, I want more laughs on the Internet. Yeah, I just... And and that's what happened. That's what happened. If I may digress into into the politics for a second, we sort of when the when the alt right died, we we saw that most of them were really they were just their own brand of stupid degenerates, and and all the funny people sort of had already left that portion of the internet to the to the you know the the meth heads and the racists and everything. Yep. I think what I think is funniest about alt furry is when is it cuckoo. 
QQ? How do you I, I would that? say QQ because it's like it's like it's I I don't know if this is actually true. I'm just making this up, but I I assume he uh, spelled out like the QQ, you know, the quick crying uh, sort of tag so there, right? When he started, or when they started. Uh, tweeting about alt furry this is why we need alt furry it was a joke like he was just making that up for a hashtag or for use on twitter he was just you know making a nonsense thing like i i do some nonsense on twitter too i talk about things that you know aren't real as if they were real a lot of people do it's fun so there was absolutely no such thing as alt furry and like for a year while he's tweeting this out there was absolutely no such thing as alt furry there were literally no actual existing people who belonged to a movement called alt furry and he was tweeting this out and then all of a sudden they start banning alt furry from conventions they're banning something that literally doesn't exist. And then it actually became something. Like after they started banning it, people start getting involved. Like that's some really high level meme magic is all I'm saying is you can literally create something for nothing because your opponents are so psychotic. They create it for you. Honestly, I, I, I tell people this all the time. Like, you just got to stay on message. Whatever it is, just just keep the message going. And eventually, it just it just people start repeating it. And uh, that's that's what a meme is, right? That's so. it. And, and in this case, that's the truth of a thousand lies. Just stay on message, even if it's completely fabricated. I think I think it's better when it's, you know, I mean, you know, you could obviously for sure do that. Um but I think it's better when there's when there's truth behind it, you know, because if there's truth behind it, I, I always tell people when, when I'm telling them, like when I'm criticizing memes, because I, I'm a meme critic in addition to my other jobs. Um, and, I, you know, I call them boomer memes or whatever, whatever. Um, I always tell them, like, when you try to meme something like when, when somebody's making a meme mocking me or something like that, I'm just like, you want to try to be funny and, and to be funny. You can't just be off the wall, just say something that doesn't make sense about me. You know, you know, somebody calling me a commie or a leftist or something. It's like, what? That doesn't, you know, that, that just doesn't play. It doesn't make sense. You, you have to have some truth to it to evoke that uh, special humor spot. I think. I, I do want to ask a question. This is kind of a technical furry question. Um, that Avengers number 17 variant cover you posted earlier today. The one where they're sitting around eating pizza, like boring people. Yeah. 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 Um, if you look down at Spider-Man's foot, it is literally a hoof. I'm not saying that as figuratively like they misdrew it. There is the bottom of it where you would put the shoe on. There's the one part that goes up at an angle. There's the joint, and then the leg goes up from there. I'm not making this up. I swear I am not making this up. Let I'm look, looking look. at it right now. Oh, and you're what right. I was wondering, is that like a crypto furry uh, code? Is that like 
a winking nod to, to, to furrydom from the artist because he's literally got a hoof. Not a foot. It's like a, yeah, it looks, it does look like a horse leg. just like attached to Spider-Man. That's yeah. pretty funny. Um, I just think that artists have trouble drawing hands and feet uh, regularly. And I'm going to assume that's completely unintentional because I'm, I'm the artist here. I don't believe is that competent. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and part of that is because uh, if you also look, Spider-Man's holding his pizza backwards. No, 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 he's not. He's not. No, I, uh, I know this is astounding. He's not, it, it's just badly drawn. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Either way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they're also eating all their pizza with forks, which is which is uh, which is lame. So you know, people are talking. About, oh yeah, that's like Chicago no. deep dish. I'm like, no, that is not Chicago deep. dish. No, it's not. It's yeah. Pizza Hut deep dish. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on on the one hand, on the one hand, Peter Peter Parker should know better. He's from New York. But on the other hand, Peter Parker should not be eating a, a pan pizza. <laughs> Very get, true. Get that crap. Out of here. My favorite kind of pizza is thin crust. Me too. I like that. You know, I'm I'm into like the gourmet. You know, they'll they'll wood fire it with the like you know put some prosciutto on top or oh, something. You top, are you know uh, California to the worst. I, I, I know. I know. We really are. <laughs> I bet you put arugula and avocado on that too. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You you guys you guys and, and I mean this I mean this uh, wholeheartedly. You guys ruin everything. California <laughs> Brita's pizza. That's true. As soon, as soon as we're done here, I'm rolling down to Whole Foods Hot Bar for lunch, you know? so No, no you're in California. You do brunch on the weekend. Uh, brunch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. As soon as we were done here, I was planning on getting some uh, pizza, some thin crust pizza. I tell you what, if you want to talk about pizza, I did my tour of Italy, confirmed why or how Connecticut or New York pizza is the best pizza you can get in the U.S. because the best pie I had in Italy was in Naples. And the Italians who immigrated to the uh, New York or Connecticut area, you know, New Haven pizza's famous, New York pizza's famous, they're all from Naples. Neapolitan pizza is the best pizza confirmed. And that's um, why. Somebody just, wow, somebody just posted a uh, response to my tweet of that. Um, in uh, uh, on my Twitter page, and, and all I'm saying is, all of the other information you've given us aside, I am pretty convinced that that this is the best pizza uh, in the world. I have just put the link into the chat, so if you want to see the best pizza in the world, you can click on the link uh, in, in the audience chat. So people can see it in YouTube. Um, so trust me, that is the best pizza in the world. You guys, you two can go look at it too, because uh, you will you will find out what I'm. That I'm is saying. really well made pizza. <laughs> um, there was something I was going to ask about, but I've forgotten it now. Oh no 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 no! Uh, I was going to ask John. Um, what is the upcoming movie that you're most excited about, and why is it John Wick 3? I have not seen John Wick 1 or 2. I'm going to admit that right now. 
Oh my god. We're we're ending the stream right now. I can't believe. I don't see that many movies, guys, like at all. I have my time, like when when there's like, first, I got little kids. It's like if I see a movie, it's going to be like, you know, Zootopia 3 or whatever, you know, something garbage like that. Um, Otherwise, like my time is like, you know, 9 p.m. to about 10 30 p.m. before, you know, I, I go to bed and go to work the next morning. So I've got about an hour and a half, which means I have to split a movie between two nights if I'm going to do it, which which is really rough. And number two, it's like I'd rather spend that time writing books for the most part. So that's that's what ends up happening. So unless like the only thing I like really make a point to see is like I went to go see uh, They Shall Not Grow Old because, you know, that was just kind of a different oh, experience. Right. Yeah, that was excellent. But I don't do it so much for like, uh, you know, just even an action movie at this point. It's I don't know. I'd rather write one. I, I, mean, I can appreciate that. I think anybody listening in, you know, wondering, you know, where does all my time go? You know, I, I don't have time to do all the stuff I want. This dude is is your favorite Hispanic science fiction author. And you've got a day job and you've got a family that you take care of. Yeah, I just don't have I don't have any other hobbies, guys. I gave them all up to, to do this. And that's that's what it comes down. Everybody asks me how I'm so productive because I, you know, just come out with thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. It's like, well, it's because I don't do anything else. Yeah, you've, you've, re- you've replaced your hobby with writing. Writing is your hobby now. This, mm-hmm. this is what I, I noticed. Like every time you find out about what an author what an author's personal life is like, they have no time. They're always busy, always. If they're a real author, I mean, if they're a real writer, if they're writing, they have no other time because they're always doing something. Larry Correa is basically like that, all these other authors. And so I tried to point this out at every possible opportunity. If you want to be a writer, just know that you're going to be busy all the time. It actually makes me feel terrible, like as a person, uh, and here and here's why, because like uh, you know every time like you know I'm in a group like Pulp Rev or something like that, or in in you know an alt, alt furry group or whatever, um, and you know I I love all these guys like I I love Dordal and DW and you guys are are just some of the best guys on the planet. Love Dan Wolfgang and QQ, uh, and and a lot of the other guys over there too, and I'm in a lot of these groups, and it's like I feel like I only show up to post my link when I got a new release. And it's just like, I don't mean to do that or be like a user like that. It's just like, you know, if I'm, if I'm not out on marketing mode, plugging the new release, I'm, I'm not paying attention because I'm in my word processor writing. And it's like, I, I, I just, I wish I could spend more quality time with the dudes. Uh, it's just, I, I just can't do it. It's a, you know, it's a sacrifice, I guess, but I feel terrible about it. <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> Well, we're happy to have you on for uh, to chat about it. Speaking of which, um, I think it's time we talk about what it is you're, you're actually working on because you're in marketing mode right now. And 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 I listened to your lunch stream yesterday uh, you, that you do a couple times a week, and and you were sick as a dog through the lunch stream. But you're in full on just go for it marketing mode. Oh man, poor Raul, because uh, Raul's Raul uh, Nianzi has a uh, a Kickstarter up. Also, I just want to mention real quick. Um, and he, uh, he, he went on my lunch stream on, uh, I think, uh, Monday or Tuesday, yeah. um, something like that. And I was so sick at that point, like I couldn't even hold a conversation and, uh, I don't know that that actually helped him. And I, I, I meant to help him out uh, with his book there too. So <laughs> I wanted to give him a shout out real quick. Oh yeah. Um, I listened to that. That was, that was, uh, I, I felt the same way. Yeah. It's, it was too bad, uh, too bad for him. 
Is he around? Yeah. We should we should have him on right now so you could have a proper conversation with him. Yeah, it'd be smart. Just uh, shoot the link to him, I guess. Yeah, um, be happy to. Um, otherwise, I've got Flying Sparks. Flying Sparks is my uh, my story. Um, I, I've been now, I, I always had trouble pitching this because it's really two stories that are concurrently going together. And when I was on Captain Cummings' show the other day, he's like, it sounds like Mr. and Mrs. Smith only superheroes. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I guess I should have been pitching it like that for the last year. So yes, it's Mr. and Mr. Smith only superheroes. Um, it's kind of at the beginning of it where you know they kind of don't know what each other are doing when they're running off, and uh, those secrets lead to complications in their lives. It leads to them uh, not being very effective in their superheroing and all that because they're they're fretting about their personal lives, and uh, it just causes all sorts of uh, all, all sorts of fun hijinks and drama. So that's where that's where Flying Sparks started off. Um, I'm I'm running this as an ongoing series, so I'm introducing villains throughout all of this. I'm introducing new conflicts throughout all of this, uh, and different things going on. And uh, volume two, I I get into the spot where uh, because I always have fun with this in comics. We got a mob war going, and uh, some of my favorite comics from the '80s is when just like Spider-Man's hanging out, he's hanging out, he's fighting this villain, he's fighting this villain. Uh, oh gosh, is Mary Jane going to pay attention to me? And he's, he goes out with Mary Jane. He has trouble with Mary Jane because. He's busy. And then, oh my gosh, the Kingpin and, and the Rose are fighting over mob mafia turf and he just like can't do anything and he has to get involved. And and that ends up so much fun and it complicates the story so much because it adds a, another dimension to the story where everything just gets loads more dangerous uh, that I want to do that here. And where it gets unique is because my character Johnny is a villain or, or a criminal at least. Um, he uh, ends up uh, being tapped to uh, to fight for the mob war. So instead of having just the superhero fighting against it, we have a perspective where the guy is actually kind of forced into it uh, on, uh, you know, actually on the side of the mob. And so there, there's a huge dynamic there uh, that's a lot of fun for the characters and, and is really building into something awesome. And the, that's that's my job, dude. What are you doing? You stole my thing. I stole your thing? What'd I do? Yeah, like... <laughs> when I finish talking and everybody's quiet for a little bit, that's my thing. That is not supposed to be anybody else's thing. What's the deal? I listen to your cadence and, and how you like do that exciting, uh, the, the exciting daddy war pick. He's so excited. He's he's on board with this. He's going to get you juiced about this. And what happens is when you get on this roll like this, you just keep going. And then nobody knows when you're actually going to stop. And so you just stop. That is true. I have abrupt stops. <laughs> I absolutely do. And everybody's like, wait, he might be pausing. <laughs> it's possible. I've made that mistake before. I, so I, I hear you talking and I hear a little pause and then I start to talk and I'm like, oh, he's not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know I'm a, you got, was it, who did the cover for the first one? The cover for the first one was done by John Malin, who was on cable uh, over at Marvel Comics for a while. And he did uh, Jawbreaker's Lost Souls for uh, Richard Meyer. So I wanted to bring him in as part of the community uh, because, you know, we're kind of rebelling against the industry here. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that was the story behind that. Now, what I found out, um, because I've been doing a lot of comics reading and looking at covers and stuff recently, um, is that is actually, and I don't know if you meant this to be, but that is actually an homage to, I believe, a DC Comics cover uh, that I saw where the female superhero is flying up, it, almost in exactly the same position. It might have been one of the good 
uh, Captain Marvel covers in Marvel. I, I, I can't remember because it didn't even occur to me to you know keep track of it. I'm like, oh look, one of my close friends has a cover that's that is oh. really an homage to this other famous cover. I should keep track of that. I don't matter. I'm not going to be talking it, about it on the show or anything. No, it's been, it's been done a couple times. I, I I've seen it with Supergirl, and so I wanted to evoke that imagery. Yeah, for sure. Uh. Oh, oh, by the way, I'm here now. Raul, how you doing, brother? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing all right. And by the way, uh, I'm going to let you finish, but Flying Sparks is the best new comic to come out this year. <laughs> Holy shnikes. I love you. I love you. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I was, I was going to say, because I, I didn't read the other Flying Sparks, uh, but I saw on the Kickstarter page, you posted a few pages of this of uh, this one, and you're really playing up the the actual mob ties. It it doesn't. I didn't see pages of a superhero story. I saw pages of a of a crime story. Yeah, um, the super. It, it's interesting. I mean, what what I figured that from the character perspective is is one in in like I said, there's two stories really going on. One of them's Johnny's, and he's a criminal. He's a fence, and he just gets because he's you know when you're when you're involved in high crimes and then moving those objects you're you're going to get involved in some nasty stuff and he just gets deeper and thrown deeper and deeper and deeper into ugly stuff where where he's you know kind of forced to kill people and he and he didn't like that before but now he's starting to get used to it um and <laughs> that's a dangerous spot to be um and on the other front uh metagirl is she doesn't have powers she just has gadgets that that her professor's inventing. They're kind of experimental, so she's still pretty new at this. So she's not going out there like taking on these like grade A supervillains and and doing these like super battle fights. She, you know, she's trying to to handle the lower street crime where she feels like she's like you know in her element. Uh, in the first volume, to have a little spoiler, she actually did go up against a big super guy that was beyond her pay grade, and she just got her she just got her ass kicked. Oh yeah, so, I uh, saw that. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so, so she tries to handle these for the most part. Um, of course, you know, supervillains happen, and there, there's there's some in this book too. And she, it's not under her control. Uh, but, but that's what that that's kind of her mo, I guess. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and I did notice that, you know, you, that I noticed that Chloe kissed Johnny a lot. That's not a problem. That's actually good. You don't see enough of that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I, I always like. I always thought it was really nice, like in Batman, when 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 him and Catwoman actually get that moment. It, it's it, you know, it's it's a nice personal moment that gives you the nice feels, and it's pretty hot. So um, you know, <laughs> I want to I play. I want to play up that in uh, in in this. And you know, when you've got a relationship going, in reality, unlike like Gamma Male comics, like where you know you have to worship the woman for fifty issues before you get one kiss. Uh, in reality, uh, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. you, you have a lot of that going on. So uh, I, I wanted to reflect that. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. As I said, perfectly fine. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I actually want to see what goes on in Volume Two of Flying Sparks. Thank you very much. Uh, I I dig it. I dig the like rolls isn't an uncommon response, is it? Like you your your first comic went was pretty popular, as I understand it. Yeah, it went over really well. I was really nervous because I'm like, I'm doing another, you know, female centered book, which I've already got. And I know, I know my, my main core audience really likes, uh, really likes to, you know, ha have a have more of a male centric, uh, uh, I guess, plot line or whatnot. Um, and I'm like, okay, 
I don't know. But um, and, and because of that, I, I play the romance a lot. But, you know, romance just like it, it makes a human connection that just makes the characters better. And, and people like really like seeing that. So it just had an overwhelmingly positive response. It's good. Can, uh, I want to say that. I want to take off just a little bit on that. Like so many people nowadays can't write characters who feel like they're real human people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's true. So well, you were expecting a long rant there, and I just did like a I, short. I, I know I got, I got oh. awkward again. <laughs> um, I have I've seen that a lot too, and I, I you know, I mean, I, I I hate to come back to the the gamma thing over and over and over again, but especially in comics, it just like it just feels like there's gammas writing, they're writing gamma characters, and so they're all awkward, like awkwardly shaped characters that you know you can't relate to. And, and it kind of just don't feel right for, and you don't know why. Um, and the reasoning is, you know, it's just people who are not acting like normal people in normal social situations. So, um, so it's harder to relate to. Yeah. Let, let me toss out a, a, a theory here or just a comment here. Uh, I want to make this really short. In uh, an age of ease and prosperity, it used to be, before an age of, of almost universal ease and prosperity, that people had it tough and they were forced to do tough things to survive and to work for their family. And they also were told a really, really basic piece of advice, which actually makes a big difference. It is far more transformational than you can ever imagine unless you've done it, which is stand up straight. Um, in those ages, people had to learn what it was like to be more human than just passive. Um, they had to learn what it was like to be more passionate, more driven, whatever. Those things were just forced on them because of their lifestyle. So now we live in a time of ease, and most people um, don't have that forced on them. And the people who come out normal are those that embrace it. You know, they grew up on a farm or they choose to go and uh, exercise or take boxing or play sports or whatever. Um, so it's the people who are physically inactive and also the people who slump all the time that end up not knowing what it's like to be masculine and manly. And I, I'm, I'm deadly serious, folks. Try this for a couple of weeks and you will notice that you feel different. Just try standing up straight. When you stand up, when you walk, your carriage is different. The way you walk is different. And you begin feeling stronger, more competent, more commanding. Um, there's a reason why in the military they make the boots stand up straight because that makes them gives them more confidence, it makes them more commanding, it makes them uh, stronger, and that makes a big deal in combat. It seems like a small thing, it seems like a stupid thing, but if you do it, it makes a difference, and these people haven't done it. I'm doing it now. I'm doing it now. <laughs> you, you need a reminder, right? You need a reminder, just tell yourself or have somebody remind you, hey, sit up straight, because you could just hunch over this keyboard, hunch over this monitor. I do it all day working at the desk. You have to remind yourself. Uh, I uh, was sitting, uh, I was sitting hunched here just now, and I, I stopped doing it because because I got shamed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now I'm standing up straight too. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I have something else to add to that. 
to what war to what Daddy Warpig said. He pointed out rightly that these people didn't go out and do stuff, but there's another dimension as well that compounds the problem. The fact that they're writing to ideological agendas as well. So yeah. you are so you already have people who you already have people who generally don't really do much. And you know this because everything they reference is mostly kind of pop culture related. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the first thing. The second thing you also have is the ideological agenda, but we already know that. And yeah, and the and the third thing I would say is they're simply not that well read. Yes. Yep. Hundred percent. And that's as a writer, I always tell people like, if you want to be a good writer, you really want to get to know a lot of different people in different perspectives. Like the the worst thing you could do is get into an insular echo chamber where you only talk to to the same people who just regurgitate the same things because all of your characters will always reflect the exact same things at that point. And uh, to have different characters and to keep being exciting and to be and to be different. And this is really hard as a writer because you know we just discussed how you, how we kind of are forced to hole up um, to get those different perspectives uh, and really make things more three D. Uh, in the writing, you really want to have a breadth on the uh, of just uh, different perspectives. That's that's really interesting, and and I don't think you were going for this, but I'd like to point out that that applies to uh, groups like the Pulp Rev, uh, because uh, everybody's so busy rediscovering, you know, what what made all those stories great. That uh, you know, they run the risk too. Y'all run the risk of of everybody talking to each other, all of a sudden you're talking about the same sorts, everybody's writing the same Conan stories or the same Tarzan yep. stories, that sort of thing. It doesn't matter what the community is, that can definitely happen uh, all the time, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, an the anime fans write a lot of the similar stuff, you know, the, the Pulp Rev guys, uh, you know, everybody's got their own spin on it, but you, you, you can also fall into that trap. Um, so we brought... Uh, our good friend Raleigh back on the show uh, in a surprise guest appearance so he could talk <laughs> a little bit about his uh, Kickstarter. Oh, yes. Well, for one, it's actually an Indiegogo. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And two, you know, I yeah, with Shining Tomorrow, I intend to write superhero stories mostly set in an alternate history. Now, I only really know of one other author who did this and that was larry correa he's a bit of a hero of mine but yeah but shining tomorrow is about a civic-minded high school girl fighting a pmc so that she could save her best friend she uh, of course she uses a giant robot to do this i, I like giant robots <laughs> a lot of people do but, yeah, but but you see, another thing I wanted to do with this story was that, one, is that, you know, I wanted to make this character kind of the anti-Katniss. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know how what's usually done, or at least what's popular to do in YA, to have the girl rebelling against the system because, yeah, because reasons or something. But here, I actually went in the total opposite direction. She actually wants she actually wants to be an exemplar of her culture's values. 
Oh, so it's it's more like a, a traditionalist girl, like you know, she might be you know she might be sort of meek or or traditionalist or something like that. But she has to. She also fights with giant robots. She's not trying well, to. Oh well, yes, well yes, and there's something of a tension between those two things. She wants to be this thing, but at the same time, she has to do violence because, you know, it's the only way to beat these bad guys. Uh, so, I, I had a question because when you said the anti-Katniss, I actually had a, a, a different picture in my mind. And, and uh, I wonder if you feel the same way. Because I never read the Hunger Games series, but I did watch the first film. And uh, for the for those of you who missed the geek gab where we, we might have talked about it, uh, I think it was a, a poor script saved by some great acting. But when when I hear the anti Katniss, the thing that bothered me about Katniss is that she was passive throughout the whole, at least at least the first book, at least through the Hunger Games, completely passive. She had to make no real decisions. She had to make no judgment calls. Uh, everybody sort of just killed themselves around her, and then she won. Uh, and that well, really me. Yeah, well, well, in the case of Irma, my main character, I actually try to make her drive the plot forward so, you know, somewhat. Only, only readers will be able to tell whether I succeeded at that or not. But I, I at least tried to make her somewhat active, you know, somewhat pushing things forward. Yeah, and, and I understand it in a, in a story like The Hunger Games, you don't really want to turn your main character into a murderer, especially a murderer of, of other kids. But there, the, you have to get to a point where the character has to make a judgment. The character has to make a moral choice and live with those consequences. So I don't know, maybe you don't set it up as a big murder fest, so the consequences aren't that big. Uh, but still, uh, making the protagonist completely passive uh, ruined that story for me. Well, well, that's, uh, that's understandable. I've always found it more interesting when like, the hero actually goes forward and does something to set things in motion. And yeah... I would when, I, when writing her, I tried to make sure she wasn't passive, not for any ideological reason, but simply because if stuff just kept happening to her, the story would be boring. And and that's sort of implied. I'm going to tie this all together. That's implied by Flying Spark, which, like I said, I haven't read, but um, but John made it very clear. You know, her professor makes her this gear for her, and she decides, okay, I'm going to use this gear to fight crime. I, you know, I'm going to see what it's like to be a superhero, right? And she goes out and does it. Like, that's cool. I like that. Oh, yeah. yeah taking initiative. Um, so, you know, she, she's uh, – my, uh, my co-host on the lunch stream actually laid it out in a very interesting way I never, I never thought of, but it's actually very accurate. Um, she, she's, a, uh, she's, a girl, she's a girl next door archetype, for real. Um, she's, she's, uh. the type, she's the type of woman that like I, uh, would, would inherently be attracted to, uh, and <laughs> happens to look like my wife. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I was um, going to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. My, my steampunk character also happens to look like my wife. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like my wife, you know, what can I say? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> So she's got a uh, she's got a model to her where she is a girl next door who's who's really like she's she tries to be the best friend you could be to she tries to be the best girl you, she can be 
Uh, she she tries to do right by her man, and she's also trying to be. Um, she's trying to to um, find her way through how to how to how to be that, and to also try to pursue being a career girl. Right? She has ambitions where she wants to accomplish things. She's a studious person. Uh, she's a hard worker, and uh, she she wants she wants to be both. And she finds that it comes into conflict sometimes. And uh, you know, she's out superheroing. And her boyfriend wants her around and she's not there and she doesn't really have an excuse. And then she comes back with bruises and he's like, what the heck is going on? You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's the, that is a, uh, that is an interesting dynamic of modern life and an interesting uh, dynamic for a character to have, I think. Uh, and it's, it's something that, you know, I, I like to see, uh, um, I, th I think it's a positive, those are pro positive archetypes uh, for a woman. And I, I like to show that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like she has her plate full. That's, a bit, a bit, yeah, a bit similar to my character, to be honest. Oh, yeah. That reminds me. I don't know if y'all saw it in like the Pulp Rev, um, like in the Twitter, in, in like the Twitter DMs that we have going. But someone linked an article about the Tolkienic hero. Uh, did any of y'all see that? I missed that Tolkienic as in as in J.R.L. Tolkien. Yeah, oh, I think I think I caught this discussion. Sort of the distinction between uh, the the hero of the story and the protagonist in Lord of the Rings. That was it, right? Well, so, yeah, something like that. But it goes farther than that. It describes actually the heroic archetype that Tolkien popularized. That here's here's what that is. You know the okay the the ordinary person who has greatness thrust upon them. You know, in, you know, in a world where people where people yearn for power, the Tolkienic hero doesn't. Instead, he's kind of drafted into it, and he has to, and he has to rise to the occasion. But he would rather not. But the fact that he would rather not is what makes him trustworthy. It's what makes is it's what makes him, you know. Res you know, responsible enough to wield the power that he has been given, because we know that he does not seek to keep the power. He does not seek to rule over others. He would rather just farm, or he would rather just go to work, or he would rather just be ordinary. Yeah, that's a good point. That, they even spell that out. That's that's expressed by the Council of Elrond, right? Like, not only does he already have the ring, but he kind of has to. He, he doesn't want it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the point. The point is that the, that the Tolkienic hero, as described in the as described in the blog post, you know, is you know is the you know is the person who you know is is you know just an ordinary person, who you know, and it comes from a milieu, and it comes from a cultural milieu that is distrustful of power. It pointed out Lord Acton's famous quote, you know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So yeah. that that and, but contrast that with sort of the the pulp rev style and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but the pulp rev style isn't necessarily about ordinary people doing extraordinary things it's it's kind of about Conan being you know a, a, a you know a force of nature uh, it's kind of about Tarzan being impossibly strong and fast uh, for for just being a man That's I would well I, I can only speak for myself because. I was writing my novel, but I found that the, the Tolkienic hero 
thing was interesting because it exactly described what I was trying to do with Irma in my novel. It just depends. I don't think um, I don't think Polperev like says necessarily it has to be this character. I think that that's a large type of it. Um, but if you look at like you know, I've I've always been beating the drum for Paul Anderson, who's you know is my hero. Yes, very um, good. Paul yes, Anderson's very characters good aren't Paul Anderson's characters aren't like that. You know, um, he he can keep that aesthetic of like the sense of wonder and all the awesome stuff happening around. And uh, it, 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 he, he doesn't necessarily have somebody who's like, you know, a ninja uh, just beating the crap out of like centaurs, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's, he's got, he's got characters who are people um, kind of, I, I would say, I would say he's more in line of my style of writing and then, and then the cool things happen too. But I, I there's room for both. You don't want to have the same character every time, like I said, and that's why, that's why my next, novel trilogy is going to be more like a uh more like a conan or john carter archetype so it's i'm, I'm gonna I, I think you want to vary your characters uh so that you don't just end up writing the same thing over and over again mm, you have you have an excellent point there yeah yeah you have an yeah you have an excellent point there we have yeah if we're going to go farther we absolutely have to avoid stagnation um i have a counterpoint to that okay the the authors, there's a lot of established authors that are just, they just make the money hand over fist. So especially in the romance genre, uh, someone like, uh, someone like I think Nora Roberts is a good example. Uh, she's got maybe a dozen different character types and she just yep. puts out like the same book two, three times a year with the same, you know, picks a few of those dozen character types and, you know, mixes up. Your roles in the story. You're, you're yeah. probably right in that. My advice to you is not a good one to, to if you want to just make money. <laughs> as, an, as, as an artist, like I cannot. I mean, it drives me crazy. That's. I mean, if if look, guys, if I was a smart person, you know, um, I, I've I've obviously built a little uh, corner empire in the in the publishing world that's doing pretty well for me. But I would be a lot bigger if I just stuck with one series and one genre and one thing and just did it and just just stayed on it. Um, people who can do that, God bless them. I, I, I think they're uh, amazing. And I, I read a lot of those books too. Um, but I, as, as a writer, like if, if I like, I love my steampunk series like more than anything, but if I, if I sat there and I'd only been writing those steampunk books and I had like a, you know, seven or eight steampunk series books long at this point, I would be so burnt out. I, I just wouldn't be able to do this. So uh, money definitely is towards that direction for sure. And if you're that disciplined, that's great. Uh, but, but artistry kind of, you know, you, you have to have a balance, I think. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. As Larry Correa constantly says, you know, an artist's first duty is to get paid. And as you can see, Larry, even though he's extremely super prolific, I mean, I'm jealous of him, of how, of how much he writes. You know, he writes an awful lot of Monster Hunter International books. You know yeah, that, right? I'm going to take a shot at him because I know you love this guy, but I, I did read the first Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter International, and he, he's making a lot of money off of writing himself as the main character. That's <laughs> me. Yeah, he, he's I, joked about that a couple times, so, uh, so yeah. Look at, it, look at this son of a black sword. That's a, I, I honestly think that's a way better series. Yeah, I think Grim Noir is yeah. better. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll check that out sometime. Cool. Maybe 2020. 
that's a great place to be in as an author, though, where you've got like three different people arguing over which of your series is better. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know. Rough life. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, we are. We're 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 getting down to killing time. I think I should have used a different phrase there. Yeah. Uh, nobody is going to die on or off stream. <laughs> At, nobody associated with this show. Wonder. Other than pizza. We're planning on killing a couple of pizzas. <laughs> I plan on doing a lot to that pizza. J John is, <laughs> is, is planning on killing a, one of his abominations of, of Southern California pizza. And I'm going to be getting a decent and wholly thin crust pizza. So I'm probably going to have some cauliflower crust because, uh, you know, we don't eat gluten. Um, and uh, probably won't have cheese on it either, you know, just because... You know, the dairy thing's, uh, you know, not not really in right now. Now you're killing me, man. You're <laughs> killing me. That's weird. I've lost my appetite. <laughs> Stuffed crust forever. Okay. Um, do, do you, uh, you want to give a final plug for, uh, for your uh, Indiegogos and such before we go? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, be sure to... Handsome cash over for Shining Tomorrow. You're gonna like the. You're definitely gonna like this novel. Cool. All right, uh, Raul, Raul. We added you late, so uh, don't forget to shoot uh, us a link here and and in the chat, and I'll make sure it gets in that description for YouTube. For uh, uh, yeah, I can't. I can't see the chat because I'm doing this from a tablet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll make get it to me after the show, and, and and everybody listening later, just check out the description for that. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick the link into the um, Pulp Rev chat if that's if, Pulp Rev DMs if that's okay. Perfect, perfect. What what about you, John Delarose? Oh, All right, furry. Yeah. So, uh, Flying Sparks is gonna be the best comic of 2018. The other guest already said so. Uh, 2019, I guess. Uh, whatever year, whatever current year is, right? It's future um, yeah. year, man. We established that at the start of the show. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're at 98 backers. I would love to declare victory on 100 backers right now. So if you, are, if you for whatever reason, have not backed it and you're watching right now, I'm pretty sure most of you guys have. Uh, but if you haven't, just, just throw in at the dollar tier and, and just make it get over the 100 mark so I can start bragging about the 100 backers, uh, and that will make me happy. Um, and that's what you want to do is make me happy. And this is why we need all furry. All right, then. Uh, uh, we do need Alt Fury, a furry. I was, I, I was just about to go back it myself, but I heard dead air, so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm good. It's been an awesome chat with you guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for the last minute uh, jumping in, Raw. And uh, you're and welcome. Thanks to the chat. We had a lively chat today, baby. Had about 13 people listening in. Uh, thanks to you guys. Much love. Thanks, guys. Oh, this is my job, isn't it? This is when I'm supposed to be talking. I, I had a, I had a, I had a fraction of a second where I debated whether I should, I should explicitly uh, ask you to to send us out, Daddy Warping. Oh, dang! Now I have to remember, man. It's been so long since I've done one. Yeah, but you know, I I I have botched the ending script every single time I try to do it. So oh, yeah. I, I I would I would love I would ask you kindly as. Our our host uh, and and magnificent voice to please send us off for the week. Okay, I, I will give the best. I'm gonna have to go back. 
I'm not even joking. I'm gonna have to go back to an earlier episode and listen to it to 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 make sure I've got all the awesome stuff I normally put in. All right, first, I want to thank our guests uh, Raleigh and uh, John De La Rose. Um, I want to thank everybody who's uh, in the chat here listening live. Uh, awesome. Uh, this is Geek Gab. We are available in case uh, you're one of those one of those poor benighted people whose life is so busy and uh, burdened that you can't listen to the show live. We are available on SoundCloud.com. We are available on the Google Play Store, and we are available on the iTunes Store. So you can download us to whatever device you please uh, and listen to the podcast later. But of course, if you want to get the full experience, you should come and listen live, jump in the chat. It's always great. We have a really, really cool commentator. We have really, really smart commentators with very volumes of knowledge uh, and it's great on the show so thanks for turning in folks this has been geek gab uh, and uh, we are leaving you for now and i feel really awful about that but don't you worry don't you fret we will be back